So we're talking about a ripple effect. We're talking about how one act of sacrifice has forever changed the world, has changed all of time, all of space. And today we're going to talk about what that means for us. We're going to continue talking about this. My name is Dion. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. So good to be here with you today. I want to welcome you, uh, especially if you're a guest here today. We're, we're honored to have you here. It's an important topic. I want to welcome you who are joining us online. And uh, here's what I'll say about this topic. that this, this whole series, it's only three weeks long because it's challenging. We're talking about sacrifice. And uh, it, it can maybe be a little heavy. But it is, it is so important to the quality of our life, to the fullness of our life, to the, to the meaning of our life, that um, we just got to stop right now and pray and ask God's blessing over this. Father, I pray today that uh, you would just remind us first and foremost that you've set us free as we sing about today, and that because of what you've done, because of what you've declared, we, we are free indeed, and that's because of you, that's because of Christ and what he's done for us. It's through Christ alone that we've got a relationship with you and that we can come and receive from you and, and have a, just, just have reconciliation with you. That's incredible, Father. But now, Father, I pray that you would take us deeper to deeper things that we also need to understand and need to learn, ways we need to grow. And uh, this may be uncomfortable, and yet, God, I pray that you would just speak tenderly to each of our hearts, to each of our situations, and help us discover more of life that is truly life. Father, I pray that my words would be your words today, and that I'd speak only what you'd want me to speak. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we talk, start off today talking about sacrifice, we're going to start about 180 degrees from sacrifice. Uh, first, I want to talk to you about glory. Now, glory is an ancient word. It's an old word. Um, it's, it's a word that has actually morphed over time. It has meant different things over time, but it's always been important. Um, first, I want to take you back to Hebrew culture, way back to, to ancient Hebrew culture, um, to the Old Testament days, where glory had this connotation, get this, it had this connotation of heaviness, of seriousness. Glory was weighty. It was, it was thick like smoke. You know, that's, you'd see the, the smoke uh, descend on the, on the temple or the tab- tabernacle back in Old Testament days, and, and that was the glory of the Lord descending. It was, it was heavy. It was, it was substantive, like fine linen or, or rich treasure. That was glory. It was, it was known as kavod Yahweh, the glory of the Lord, the glory of, of Yahweh. And so this gl- idea of glory continued. I mean, that was the first idea of glory. It was kind of this weighty, smoky, um, heavy, serious, substantive thing. And then the Greeks came along, and the Greeks... They're just a little more lighthearted than the Hebrews. The Hebrews are very serious. The Greeks are a little more lighthearted. And so for Greeks, glory began to take on a different connotation. Glory was no longer heavy or severe or weighty. Glory was now light. It was bright. It was radiant. It was shiny. And the word for uh, glory in Greek was doxa. Doxa, glory. Well, now, the Greeks, they had a huge impact on all of Western culture, and so the Greek idea of glory hung around for a very long time. I mean, you can see this in art. If you look at, if you look at classic art, if, uh, if, if there's a picture of Jesus, he's usually, you know, got a halo, and there's bright and shiny stuff all around, because that's how the Greeks thought of, of glory. Well, then, in about the 1800s, probably, um, historically, at least I noticed this, and some others probably could notice other trends, um, but in about the 1800s, 1900s, glory started to take on yet another connotation. Glory really started to, uh, to connote things like bravery or honor or valor or courage. Um, glory was often a military type 
term, you know, and so there were movies like Glory, you know, that, that were talking about the Civil War, and, and Glory became something that was hard fought. It was, it was something that was not for everyone, but if you were courageous, if you'd fight through, you, you yourself could have glory. Now, I want you to think about today, because I, I think it's morphed again, and things are changing all the time in our culture. Think about what, what glory means today. See, I think for us today, glory is all about blitz, glitz rather, and, and bling and fame. You know, it's all about being awesome. It's all about living in the limelight. Uh, glory is all about using people or situations in your life for your own personal advantage. So stealing credit from a coworker so that the boss notices you or being a ball hog out there on the team so that, you know, maybe some scout will notice you from an important college someday and, and you'll get your NBA career See, glory has become very me-focused. It's become very progress-focused. It's become very ambitious. It's all about staying in the limelight, staying in the spotlight for as long as you can and doing whatever necessary to get there. I think she basically sums it up. You all know who that is, right? Yeah, yeah some of you act like you don't know. You act like you don't listen to, like, poker face in your car on the way home from church, right? Uh, who is that? Say, say, it, say it with pride. You know who it is. Lady Gaga, right? Lady Gaga, I mean, this is our picture of glory. And I'll tell you what, if that's the edge of glory, I'm backing way up. Because I don't want to get too close. I don't want to see what's, what's closer to that. If that's just the edge, I don't want to know the full thing. But, but that's, that's what glory is in our culture, right? It's self-promotion. It's, it's doing shocking things just so that you can be in the limelight, so you can have some fame or notoriety. That's what glory has become for us. Now, now here's the crux for all of us. Not many of us want to be this. Not many of us want to go to these lengths to be known or to have some sort of fame or notoriety or glory in our lives. And yet, at the same time, none of us really want to be ordinary. None of us want to just live a life of insignificance or anonymity. And so there's this tension. Deep down, we all kind of want to pursue glory, but, but not like that. And so today what I want to introduce to you is I want to introduce to you some teaching from Jesus. It's going to come from John chapter 12, and you can go there in your Bible or your smartphone now, or we're going to look at it on the screen in just a second. Because we're going to discover that Jesus also had an ambition for glory. So Jesus, get this, was a little bit of a glory hound. But not in the way that we think. And, and in fact, the way that Jesus pursued glory is entirely different than how people today pursue glory. And yet, and yet, if you listen to his words, if you trust his teaching, he will tell you something important about living a life of significance, a life that matters, a life where you will receive honor that's far more substantial than, than what we see in our culture today. So John chapter 12 is where we're going. Uh, Jesus is speaking to some of his followers, pretty tight-knit group of disciples here. And this is what he says. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, now the Son of Man, if, if you don't know what this is, this is a title for Jesus. It's a messianic title from the Old Testament. Jesus uses this to refer to himself. So Jesus is saying to his followers, he's saying, Hey, the time has finally come for me, the Son of Man, to be glorified. If you know Jesus' story, it's about time. Because, you know, in a few months we're going to be celebrating Christmas and the angels and the manger and the shepherds and, and all of that. Glory to God in the highest. And then things go quiet for about 30 years and Jesus grows up in relative anonymity. 
And then he starts his public ministry, and, and that lasts about three years at this point. And uh, after about three years of ministry, he's had a little bit of fame, but he's caused a lot of confusion. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of concern about him. He, he doesn't have a huge fan base. A lot of people have been turned off by him. So Jesus is saying to his followers, the guys who are actually sticking around who believe in him, he's saying, hey guys, the time has come. It's finally time for me to get my glory. But then I want, you, I want you to see what he says next about how he's going to do that. He says, very truly, very next words, he says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now, it's kind of a mouthful there from Jesus, but just get this high level. I mean, Jesus starts off talking about, hey, the time has come for me to be glorified. I am on the edge of glory, Jesus says. And then a moment later, he's talking about how a kernel of wheat, a kernel of wheat has to fall to the ground and die so that it can give life to many seeds. He begins talking about how, hey, if you love your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life, you'll find it. What does any of that have to do with glory? Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus is speaking these words. The the hour that he's referring to is, is that he's literally hours away from his own suffering and death. At the hands of the, of the Roman government. And the Romans, they're just, they're just brutal. They are grotesque people. They're awful. And Jesus is about to endure all of that. He's about to suffer and die at the hands of the Roman government. The most cruel regime that the world had known. And he's about to walk through all that. And he knows that. And he's telling his disciples that this is about to happen. Do you remember where he started though? He started off by saying, hey, the time has come for me to finally get my glory. So, so again, what does all of this have to do with glory? Well, let's go back. Let's go back and look at his words again. We'll break it down a little bit. So he had just said to his disciples, he said, hey, the time has come for me to be glorified. And we already know that, that he must be talking about a different kind of glory than what we know. So let's look at what he says. He says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is saying, he's saying, you know what, I I could go and I could live my life and I I could pursue glory on my own. I could be a guy who wows people. I could fill stadiums full of people just to see the miraculous things that I could do. But I've got my eyes set, my vision set on something bigger. Not just the impact of my own life, but I've got, I've got my, my vision set on, on falling to the ground and dying so that I can produce life for many. Jesus says, I've got this exponential view of my life, a glory that's far beyond a temporary glory of popularity. And then he continues, and he says more about that. He says, anyone who loves their life. So at first he's talking about what he's doing. And and then he turns and he says, hey, but this is a universal principle for everyone. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, these are some of the most misunderstood words in Scripture, I think. Right? Because normally we read these words and we're like, okay, so if you love your life too much, look out, because God's going to thump you. 
right? If, if things are going too well, you better look out because God doesn't want you to be happy for too long and he's going to get you. He's going to take it all away. So meanwhile, if you want to be wise, just kind of, you know, be grumpy, don't like your life too much, be, you know, just the right amount of miserable uh, so that you get to hold on to your life so you don't, you don't have to lose it all, right? That's how we, how we read these words. And yet that's not what Jesus is saying. Not at all. See, in the series, what we're talking about is we're talking about sacrifice. And last week, Stephen Howard, our senior pastor, he, he talked about the myth of sacrifice. And the myth of sacrifice simply stated, do you know what it is? If you were here last week, you should know. The myth of sacrifice simply stated is that sacrifice is all about loss. But that's not true. That's a myth. Sacrifice, when done rightly, when approached rightly, is not about loss. It's all about gain. See, that's the best kept secret out there. And in fact, you can tell, though, that that few people actually believe that or know that secret. Most people believe that sacrifice is all about loss. And the way you can tell is by how people live. Right? I mean, the people who never learn this, who never believe this, who never understand what Jesus is really saying about sacrifice, you can pick them out of a crowd so easily because they are the ones who will never do something hard for someone else. At least not a stranger, maybe for their immediate family, people they really love. They're the people who won't give up comfort or health or especially not life for anything that doesn't obviously benefit them. They're the people who will never part with their money. Either they will stockpile it or, or they will spend every penny on themselves. Two different symptoms, same disease. And can I just be honest for a second about, about this? I mean, the fact that a church like this is ever behind on our budget for giving just shows the depths of this, of this deception about sacrifice. Because as tight as our staff is, and I can tell you Jeff Cook, our CFO who is just up here, he keeps us in line financially. So as tight as our staff is, and as rich as this community is, This church should never have a financial need, right? And yet the reality that we do, right now we're behind giving, you know? The reality that that's that's the case, the reality that we have to talk about that is the reality that says that we don't believe Jesus when he says these words. We all believe that sacrifice is about loss. We believe that God is trying to take something away from us and that we'll be the worse for it. But that's a myth. That's not true. See, what Jesus is trying to help his followers understand, and that includes all of us, is that through sacrifice, there is much to be gained. He goes on and, and he says more about this. Not only, you know, if, if you love your life, uh, you might lose it, but if, if you just lay down your life, this is what he's saying about, you know, you hate your life. If you lay down your life, you're going to find something greater. If you're willing to sacrifice, you're going to find something greater. But then he says this, he says, whoever serves me must follow me. So if you want to serve Jesus, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you got to follow him. And, and so that means that where I am, he says, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So Jesus says, you know what, if you want to follow me, you, you've got to do what I do. Namely, you've got to be willing to lay your life down. You've got to be that kernel of wheat that falls to the ground and dies but brings life to many seeds. You've got to be the person who's willing to lay down your life and gain it for eternal life. But, but he says something else. He says, but when that happens, when that happens, my Father will honor you. See, it's all back to this idea of glory. 
In life, we all have a decision to make. You know, if you want to pursue your own honor, your own glory, your own blessing, your own prosperity, if, if you want your own fame to be the, the focus of your life and your livelihood, then, then you can do that. But you know what's going to happen? At best, at the end of your life, you're going to be some sad person out in the streets trying to tell everyone about how awesome you were one day. You know, you're going to be talking about your glory days. You're going to be passing out your resume. You're going to be one of those people who's like, do you know who I am and what I've done? Right? You know people like that, and it's sad to watch. But at best, that's what your life will amount to if you're all about pursuing your own sense of glory. But Jesus says there's another way. He says at the, at the, at the end of your life, there's another way you can live. If, if you can live your life following me, if you can lay down your life, if you can be willing to sacrifice, Jesus says, my Father will honor you. He will not only take care of everything that you need, but you will find a glory that is lasting and is so much more significant. So at the end of the day, here's the question for us. If you can have honor from God, or you can have honor from the peanut gallery, the Joneses, the people in your life who you think so highly about, the people who, who, who you know, you're trying to impress, if you can have glory from them or you can have glory from your Father in heaven, which one do you want? Which one will you choose? See, this is such, it's such a clear teaching, but I think it's so hard for us to believe. I know it's hard for us to believe. It's hard for me to believe that when you're willing to go the way of Jesus, not living and building and working for your own glory, but when you're willing to lay it down, when you're willing to become a kernel of wheat that falls to the ground and dies so that you can give life to others, when you're willing to, to let go of your life, you will find it. When you're willing to forego your own honor, the Father, our Father in heaven will honor you. It's so hard for us to believe that that could actually be true. And yet it's even bigger than that. Uh, let me explain it to you this way, through this, this analogy. Um, see, when Jesus made his sacrifice that he's talking about here in John 12, when he actually gave up his life, it was sort of like a very big rock dropped in the middle of the water. And you all know what happens when that happens, right? There, there are these ripples that, that go out when that happens. And so Jesus, who is true God and true man, the Son of God, when he gave up his life willingly, it, w- it made a big splash. And, and you would expect that there would be these ripple effects uh, going out, this ripple effect going out in every direction. But what actually happened was much more interesting than just a bunch of ripples in a pond. See, what actually happened was that the single act of sacrifice that Jesus made, it grew With intensity, it grew exponentially, and pretty soon it became a tidal wave. Not just ripples in the water, it became a tidal wave. Now how did this happen? It's not just that Jesus was the Son of God and God made it happen. God made it happen, but he did it through a very interesting way. See, see, there were some people who were sitting in the room while Jesus was teaching, back in John 12. And they were taking notes. Even though it sounded crazy, all the stuff that Jesus was saying, glory, you get glory by laying down your life and dying, what? But but they were listening and they were taking notes. And they actually, after Jesus died and rose and ascended into heaven, they actually took Jesus' words to heart and they went out and they began to lay their lives down for things that mattered. 
I mean, they traveled around the world to dangerous, uncomfortable, violent places. You know, we, we just had a group come back from Cambodia and, uh, on, on mission, and I'm, I'm so proud of them, and I'm so proud of our church for making an investment in that place. And you might know that I've been to Cambodia a number of times now. Um, but I'll confess that the part of the trip that I dread the most is that long 15-hour flight from, you know, Dallas or Chicago usually, or sometimes Atlanta, all the way over to Seoul, Korea, or um, maybe Hong Kong. I mean, 15 hours in an airplane, that is brutal, right? 15 hours sitting in an airplane. And then I'm sitting in the airplane and I'm thinking as I'm complaining about this, 15 hours sitting in a cushioned seat in a climate-controlled environment, watching movies, having flight attendants bring me complimentary beer and wine, all I can eat and drink. This is terrible, you know? This is my idea of, of sacrifice in a hard life. And, and then I think about the, those first followers of Jesus who heard him speak these words, and, and they literally traveled in the bowels of ships, like, like steerage, like, like livestock, and they were shipwrecked, and they, were, and they would go into towns, and they would be beaten, and they would be arrested, and their property was seized. And they did it all because they so believed that when Jesus gave this teaching, that he wasn't lying, he wasn't tricking them, he wasn't trying to take anything away from them, they believed that it would make a difference and they believed that the Father could honor them far beyond they could ever uh, honor, honor themselves. And so this movement that started with just a, a dozen people or so, it began to gain momentum. And it turned into a movement of hundreds of people as, as more and more people started to see a different way of living. And so those ripples, they gained momentum. And they started becoming waves because of the sacrifices of those people, the world began to change. I mean, women and children, the role of women and children, the status of women and children dramatically changed. See, it used to be that women and children were just property or they were seen as liabilities. And men had all the power. And if you have all the power, why on earth would you ever use your power to give power or authority or to be mindful of someone else who's beneath you? Well, see, what happened is some of these people who followed Jesus, who heard him give this kind of teaching, they said, you know what? Maybe, maybe instead of, of, of just, you know, being at the top of the heap and, and letting everyone else honor and glorify us, maybe we should use our power and our position to serve others. And they began laying down their lives for their wives and for their children. And the status of women and children changed dramatically. I mean, widows and orphans, people who were just liabilities, they were, they were a drain on society. The early Christians would gather them up and, and they would turn them into these, these just hodgepodge families. And everyone had a, a place to serve and a way to give and they would love and they would honor each other and it began to transform the world still to this day. Do you know, you can verify this historically, that everywhere the gospel has gone, everywhere Christianity has gone, the status of women and children has improved remarkably. See, see the waves got bigger. Because people heard Jesus and they followed him. They joined him in this very counterintuitive way of living. Education. Let's talk about education. You know, education used to be for the elite. It used to be for the wealthy. It used to be for men. But pretty soon there were these Christ followers who began giving of themselves to teaching people. And, and they gave of their fortunes rather than building another castle or, or uh, you know, establishing some other, you know, new thing that would be for their own benefit. They, they established universities and academies Places where people could get educated. Anyone. And people started getting educated. Common people 
and the waves got bigger. And then medicine changed. See, no longer were the sick seen as people who were cursed by God. And, and you know this is true still in our world. If you go to India, to the Hindu parts of India, part of the reason you, you just let people die in the street and they're untouchable is because you don't get in the way of their disease or their misfortune because they must have done something to make the gods angry. And if you get in the way, you could be angering the gods. You know, don't interfere. And, and that's kind of how people used to think. If someone was sick, they'd be like, well, they must have done something really wrong to make God mad. So, so they get what they, they, they deserve. But then there were these people who believed Jesus, that there was another way to live that was better and nobler, that there was a greater glory and a greater honor. And they began to investigate ways that sick people could find healing. And they began to have compassion on people who were sick. And they built hospitals where they could go and get well or at least go and die with dignity. I mean, there were some people who were so sold out for this that they would actually investigate cures and they would put their own lives at risk, their own health at risk. Some of them died trying to cure illnesses because they just believed that there was something better to living than pursuing their own glory. And and so the waves got bigger and freedom became a universal human value. Now again, we think, we think freedom is a human value. It's universal. But it's not. Just because it's in our constitution doesn't mean that every human understands the importance of freedom. It comes from the gospel. See, Jesus brought this idea into the world. That freedom is valuable. That everyone deserves it. That it's worth dying for. And so people who, who knew Jesus, who followed Jesus, they began laying down their life for the freedom of others. And, and pretty soon injustice wasn't tolerated. And sometimes it took way too long, like in our country, But there were always good people who would fight to make sure that everyone was free. And most of all, most of all, people came to know Jesus. As as these, these ripples got bigger and bigger and slowly transformed into a tidal wave, people from every nation, every continent, every tribe, every tongue, they began to know the love and the forgiveness and the hope, and the peace, and the life that comes from Jesus. Now, now think about this, that, that, that you started with this, this little Jewish cult living in Jerusalem of a few dozen people, maybe a hundred people, and it's moved into this, it's transformed into this worldwide movement of love. Do you see why that happened? Not just because Jesus gave his life, but because Jesus put his spirit on people and, and, he, and he gave his teaching to people. And, and people actually began to follow Jesus. They began to do what Jesus did. They began to lay down their lives to give life to others. They began to let go of their lives and they found something greater. They found a greater honor that the Father in heaven could give them. And so this, this drop in the water became a tidal wave. But what about today? And look around our world today. There's still children who are dying every day from preventable diseases, from a lack of clean water. It's a reality. You know, you go overseas to places like Cambodia. Um, again, our team just returned from there, and, and uh, we've, we've officially launched ministry to kids in Cambodia, which is awesome. It's called Stronghold Cambodia. It used to be called the Angel Dormitory. We were going to build a dormitory. 
But the Cambodian officials told us that we couldn't build a dormitory anymore, that they stopped licensing dormitories. And of course, we were shocked because we had raised money to build a dormitory. We had scouted land to build a dormitory. And we said, why this change? And they said, you know what? The exploitation of children has gotten so bad, so out of control in our country that we can't allow children to be housed in these facilities anymore because too many of them are just shells where children are abused, they're neglected, they're exploited, they're trafficked. Children. I mean, there's still warfare going on in our world. Violence, hatred, just look at the Middle East and ISIS. Look at, look at what's still happening to women as women are, are kidnapped, they're sold into slavery, they're forced into marriages or worse. I mean, think about our community here. Our own nation, we, we've got our own pain still. We've got racial divisions and we've got misunderstanding and we've got anger and hatred and tension. I mean, just look at Ferguson, right? And then more and more, worse of all, more and more there are more people who are not turning toward the church, they're turning away from the church. And as they're turning away from the church, you know where they're turning? Not to some other religion, not to some nice peaceful philosophy of life. You know where they're turning to? They're turning to resi- a resigned sense of purposelessness and hopelessness and cynicism. So look at our world. What's going on? Where's this mighty tidal wave that changes things and makes things better and brings life to everything it touches? Well, you can try to blame evil, and evil's certainly a part of all of this. But I think we also, all of us in this room, if we follow Christ, need to own the fact, people like you and me, that, that we hear Jesus so clearly calling us to a new way of life. Calling us to be willing to to be that kernel of wheat that falls to the ground and dies so that life can be given to others and and so that we can find true life and that we can be honored by our Father in heaven. And we hear that and it's so clear. It is so clear. And yet we hear that and it just sounds like too much. It sounds so unreasonable to us because we bought into the myth Because we have a preoccupation with this life and the glory we can seek for ourselves. We're obsessed with it. But even today, and in every time, every season, there's always been a faithful remnant of people who actually believe Jesus, who trust him, who live differently and discover the fullness that comes from a life of sacrifice. Now, some of those people have been known to us. I mean, there are people who have been huge on the world stage. You think of people like Mother Teresa, or you think of Martin Luther King Jr., people who, who literally fell to the ground and died, and they gave life to others, in, incredible people. But, but it happens every day in small ways, too, that we so often miss. You know, I'm talking about the Sunday school teacher who has given decades to teaching little ones about Jesus who week after week has shown up and and he has taught and loved and served kids, even though he's got a bigger plan for his life and, you know, other things that he could be pursuing. He's created time to pass on the faith to the next generation so kids know Jesus. Or I'm thinking about the faithful giver who deliberately lives a simple life, who lives way beneath their means, who's, who's living in a small house while everyone's, you know, building McMansions all around him, and, and they're deliberately living a small 
life financially so that they can give more away to things that matter, so they can put their treasure to things that actually make a difference in the world. I'm thinking about that faithful neighbor, that attentive neighbor, who's out there every day in her neighborhood, just shining her light, loving on her neighbors, meeting them in their need, praying for them, serving them, inviting them to church, doing whatever she can. See, see do, you think, do you think that those people out there who are pursuing their own glory, who are, who are living for their own fame, do you think they can come close to the glory that God will give even those people who faithfully lay their lives down, knowing that God can give them so much more than what they lay down? See, the question that we all have to ask ourselves, it it all goes back to this issue of glory. And the question that each and every one of us have to ask, and this is a question we can only answer for ourselves, is what kind of glory do I want? Do I want to pursue my own glory? Because, you know, there are TV shows, there are textbooks, our culture is screaming at you, telling you how to do this. And you can do it without thinking. So, so is that the choice you're going to make, or will you choose to do what Jesus instructed you to do? Will you choose to go the way of Jesus? Will you be like him? Are you willing to be that kernel of wheat that will fall to the ground and die, but give life to others? Are you willing to discover that when you let go of your life, God can give you so much more than what you're holding on to? Are you willing to test God and see what kind of honor and glory he can give you when you don't make your own glory The point of your life. See, here's the crazy thing about this choice. You get to decide. God doesn't force you to make this decision. He doesn't. There's absolute freedom for you to make the choice. And so Jesus brings teaching that is clear, and he compels you, and there are examples, just numerous examples of people who have lived this and have proven it, and you all know them, and yet the choice we all have to make for ourselves today is which path will we choose? The glory that comes so obviously or this glory that's hidden? It's an important choice. It makes a huge difference for the rest of your life and what it looks like. It makes a huge difference for this world around us. Next week we're going to talk about how it makes a huge difference for eternity. And so let me pray for us as we ponder this choice. Father, I ask you today just to help us to to see beyond the veil of deception about life and what a good life looks like and what a full life looks like and what a rich life looks like and what honor and glory really looks like. Just peel back the deception and help us, Father, help us to begin to hear the words of Jesus and to internalize them. I just pray that these words from Jesus would just rattle around in our hearts and in our minds this week. Father, I pray that these words would haunt us this week until we take them seriously. And Father, this week I pray you'd give us eyes to see this hidden way that in fact those who lay life down, they get so much more than what they lay down. God, it's happening all around us, but we don't see it. Help us see it this week. And Lord, I boldly pray that you'd use um, each person in this, in this place and that you'd take each of us as we uh, weigh this decision about, very seriously, how we want to live our lives. And Father, I pray that you'd compel us toward the way of Christ.
because I know that's the better way, even though my heart fights against you sometimes. I know that's the better way. I know that's a fuller way. Father, you've never taken or deprived us of anything. So help us trust you. And Father, I pray that you'd begin to cause a resurgence of the ripple effect of Christ in this community, that, that once again, Christ's love and compassion and his sacrifice would become like a tidal wave in our community and in our state and in our nation and in our world. And Father, I pray boldly that you would do that here through us as we each make a decision to live life, to follow Jesus, to lay it all down and to find honor that only you can give us. Father, thank you for being so patient and tender with us. Thanks for being so giving. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Today we're going to conclude our service.